0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. There's individuals that have that same kind of an attitude. No, God,
1: if you want to change me, you change me. Otherwise, I'm going to live just the way that I am. What a dangerous, dangerous way to be. And in reality, in the end, they're going to stand before God. And God says, but I've shown you this, and I've given you this. I've declared Christ to you. I've given you the free offer of salvation. I've given you the Holy Spirit to strengthen you encourage you. And you've rejected those things.
0: Scripture gives us many examples of people who won't take responsibility for themselves. People like Cain and Esau who shake their fists at God and say, If you'd only changed me. The Bible warns us that behavior is inexcusable. We've been told that we're sinful and that our sin has been covered. We're in no position to argue the cross and God's authority over us. We're saved through faith, not of works, but our works should show that we are saved and because we love Jesus. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 4, for the conclusion of our message entitled, Inexcusable
1: or if I would have only known, because they have known, they've been taught, they've come to the understanding over and over and over, and rather than changing on the outside, they allowed their hearts just to grow harder and harder. In verse 4, he tells them that truly they despise or they slight the very goodness of God. The divine goodness that sows favor and mercy and light and law. The one who gives to all that common grace and shows to all that patient endurance. Their hearts become like stone because of that. They despise the things of His character that He continues to show them. And how do they despise it? By not responding to it. Verses 5-11 through speaks to us about the attitudes of the heart that speak about who we truly are. Beginning in verse 5. Let me back up to verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in, in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. He speaks to them about this whole understanding of what they become and what they allow themselves to be. In verse 5, he speaks about the hardness and the impenitent heart. And he uses here both a medical term and a legal term. The hardness of the heart in a me- medical term, the uh, uh, impenitent heart in a legal term. That word hardness comes from a Greek word, scleros. And in the Greek it means a progressive hardening or a callousness. It comes really to the idea of a morbid hardening of the tissue because it slowly takes place. We get our word sclerosis from it. And when we speak of a medical term like arteriosclerosis, it is that gradual hardening of the arteries. Uh, Multiple sclerosis deals with the hardening of the tissue around the brain and on the spine. And when Paul says, your hearts are hardened, or the hardness of your heart, he's not speaking about the fact that suddenly it's turned hard because of an event. But he's talking about over a period of time, because the Word of God had come to them, and they refused to obey it, they refused to follow it, they heard, they listened, did not respond, and over a period of time, their hearts became hardened to it. Literally, a callus was formed over the heart. No change has taken place. They're receiving and just continually hardening their heart. The idea of an impenitent heart means one that is without remorse. In other words, that I can go and I can do things that I know that are against the will of God and it does not disturb me. I'm not broken in my life because I'm in sin, because I've failed to fulfill the desire of my loving Heavenly Father. My heart is impenitent There's no remorse. I'm not going to repent from that. I just continue on. Can this happen to church people? Yes, it can. The sad part is when it happens to those who declare the name of Jesus Christ as Lord, and yet at the same time, their hearts are hardened, and there's no repentance in their lives. I would tend to think you need to re-examine the reality of your salvation. Rather truly or not you're born again, or rather you're just trying to be a moral, religious, self-righteous person. In verse six, he speaks of God rendering to each according to his deeds, and here he makes the declaration that God will render, not not reward these deeds, but he's going to render. Some of them say that uh, he's going to render to each man's deeds instead of deeds, he says works or what he has done. But the meaning is is a whole lot more than just that outside actions or the external actions of man. Albert Barnes says this in his commentary on this passage. He says the word deeds that Paul uses is sometimes applied to the external conduct. But it's plain that that's not the simple meaning of it here. It denotes everything connected with conduct including the acts of the mind and the motives of the individual, the principles as well as that mere external act. So it goes much more than just the outside action. It's the very internal part of the man. And God is going to render to that internal part. Barnes continues on. He says, our word character more aptly expresses it than any single word. It's not true that God will treat men according to their external conduct. But the whole language of the Bible implies that he will judge men according to the whole of their conduct, including their thoughts, their principles, their motives, and that is as they deserve, he says. The character of man comes into play. The external actions of man are simply an outflow of the character of a man. So he's not judging us on the symptoms is judging us on the reality of the disease that's within us. And that disease is called sin. Now, I know that some of you might feel that we're speaking a lot about a works, salvation. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to nail that at the very beginning. That's not what I'm speaking about here. But I do know that the Bible makes it very, very clear that there needs to be obedience in our lives if we name the name of Christ. If I say that I am a Christian, then there needs to be a difference within my life, in character, and because of that character, then the external flow of my life. And we can call it works, we can call it deeds. We read it throughout Scripture, and some Scripture passages which speak of that we can find very easily. And just a few of them, and you can mark these down and look at them later, but in Psalm 62, 12, he says, Also to you, O man, belongs mercy, for thou render to every man according to his work. Proverbs 24, 12 says, If thou say, Behold, we knew it not, does not he that ponders the heart consider it? And he that keeps the soul, does he not know it? And shall he not render to every man according to his works? Jeremiah 17.10 I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Are our actions and our activities important to God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jeremiah 32:19. one more time. He says, Great in counsel and mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give every one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Is the activity of my life important to God? Yes. Are works important to God? Absolutely. Now, you might say, Yeah, but David... All of these are Old Testament, and I'm not in the Old Testament. I'm New Testament. I'm I'm covered under grace. I'm covered under mercy. Works really is not the issue anymore since the New Covenant. Okay, then I think that there's a few little New Testament verses we can share with you also. We could first of all, and it's not even on the list, but we could go to Matthew chapter 25 and speak of Jesus speaking to those, again, of the deeds that they've done or the deeds that they've not done, which were a demonstration of their relationship with Him. We could go to Jesus speaking to those, and He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I've asked you to do? And then we could get into the writings of the apostles. Paul writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he had done, whether it be good or bad. This is the Bama seat. We talked about that Wednesday night as we've been going through Second Corinthians. That judgment seat, the good and the bad things that we've done as believers. Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8, Paul again writes, he says, Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In Second Timothy, he writes to Timothy about an individual and he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, but the Lord will reward him according to his works. What we do is important to God. And there's discipline and correction because of it. And finally in Revelation chapter 22:12 Jesus himself declares, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. In verse 7 he speaks of some that in for looking for eternal life they have this patient continuance. They're doing good and they seek for glory, honor and immortality. It's a direct opposition to that hardness of heart. So instead of a stone heart, there are those who are really desiring to glorify God in their lives. They have a desire to show their love for Him, and they have a desire to please Him in every action of their lives. Verse 8 and 9. It talks about those that are self-seeking, those who don't obey the truth, they obey unrighteousness. And that whole idea of self-seeking, the very word there, again, has a connotation to it of almost a a, a litigious disposition, a a legal disposition. And I love the words that, that Paul uses there. The unfortunate thing these are so self seeking. They're they're moving more toward unrighteousness and they dare stand before God and say, I'm gonna do what I'm going to do and if you don't like that, then do something about it. Well that's a foolish thing to declare before God. The thing is is we live in a litigious society right now. People are ready to sue for everything and sometimes when there's nothing even to sue for they manufacture opportunities to sue a few years ago you probably heard the story of a woman who went into a fast food restaurant and she had gotten her drink and she kind of looked around to see if anybody was looking and when no one was looking she poured a little bit of her drink on the floor and then slipped and fell and hurt her back and was going to sue the fast food chain well The problem with that is anymore there's video cameras everywhere. And the video, the fast food chain had a video camera. And they said, well, no. You've done this yourself. You knew that what you would do would harm you. You did it yourself. You are inexcusable. You have no excuse. Not too unlike mankind today. I'm going to live whatever way that I want. And then at the end, God, you've just got to cover me because you created me. No. You're without excuse, because God has demonstrated and shown his love and shown his truth over and over and over. There's individuals that have that same kind of an attitude. No, God, if you want to change me, you change me. Otherwise, I'm going to live just the way that I am. What a dangerous, dangerous way to be. And in reality, in the end, they're going to stand before God. And God says, but I've shown you this and I've given you this. I've declared Christ to you. I've given you the free offer of salvation. I've given you the Holy Spirit to strengthen you encourage you. And you've rejected those things. These are the ones who are the Cains of our ages and the Esau's. These are the ones who like Pharaoh who had a hard heart against God these are the Saul's who saw and understood the power of God and how God had raised him up and set him and yet turned his back on God and continued to follow after his own flesh these are the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the New Testament as Jesus continued to proclaim to him them his truth and again the error of their ways and they refused to accept it and continued to press toward even the crucifixion of Christ and yes these are even the ones that we You see, in every corner of the globe, even within the church today, they know the word. They're inexcusable. And for believers who have come to Christ and have received the Holy Spirit within their lives, have had the wooing and the nudging and the encouragement and the empowering of the Holy Spirit in their life, and yet continue to harden their heart against those things and still desire to live any way that they want and yet claim, oh, but I've got eternity sealed up. I don't know about that. If there's not been a real true change of heart, what is your defense? What is the change? What are you you going to be able to stand upon? Verses 12 through 16 speaks about the fact that there is no partiality in God's judgment and there's no partiality in His blessings either. Verse 12, we read, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law that are just in the sight of God, but it's the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. It's not the race or the background of an individual. It's not even the upbringing or the class or the economic standing or the lack thereof of anyone fact is is that God has given his word and just as we read in chapter one, he's placed it within the heart of man and he's also demonstrated it by all of his creation. There's only one thing that really matters and that's a heart and a life that's been changed by the power of God through the revelation of Jesus Christ, where they've come to the point of surrender to him and that indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. There has to be the reality that the old man has passed away, and behold, all things have become new. That there's a new work in me, that again, he is making and creating me uh, a newness of life. In the midst of all of this, yet still, the righteous judge looks upon those that are redeemed, and he sees the blood of his dear son. In the midst of all of these things, in your life and in my life, in the failures that we have, if we really and truly are born again, if Christ has truly come within our hearts, even in the midst of failures, the blood of Jesus Christ, the word declared, cleanses from all unrighteousness. Again, I'm not speaking about the fact that you have to do all these things in order to be saved. Well, what I'm saying is that in our lives there needs to be a change simply as a demonstration that we are saved. If you as a believer today are struggling in areas and you're brokenhearted about it, that there is a repentance about it, understand and know that's the Spirit of God working in you and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Some have asked me this whole idea of the Do you believe in once saved, always saved? I simply answer this. I do not believe in easy believism. I do not believe that through saying a little prayer at the end of a book or at the end of a pamphlet that that gains your salvation. I believe that a changed heart is what truly is the evidence of salvation. And if there is a changed heart within an individual, if there is a brokenness for sin, then I can say that I can assure you that it's the work of God moving within your heart and life. And I can promise you, according to God's word, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That he will receive even the prodigal son back to himself. He does not lose his sonship. I can give great assurance to salvation to those who are brokenhearted because of sin. But for someone to come up and say, well, God, if you want me to change, then change me. If that's the attitude, and the attitude continues to work toward pleasing the flesh and following the way of the world, I give you Absolutely no assurance of your salvation. And I tell you, like Paul says, examine yourself to see if you're really and truly in the faith or not. If Paul can say that, then I, as a preacher of the Word, can say that too. Amen? I want to close with this little story. Uh, Henry Ironsides, who is a teacher and preacher of the Word from the 19th century, or the 20th century, in looking at this passage, gives this story. It's called The Story of the Fire. He writes, one of the first gospel illustrations that ever made a real impression upon my young heart was a simple story that I heard a preacher tell when I was less than nine years old. It was of pioneers who were making their way across one of the central states in the earlier ages of our country. They were going to that distant place that had been opened up for homesteading. They traveled in covered wagons drawn by oxen and the progress was necessarily slow. One day they were horrified to note a long line of smoke off in the west, stretching for miles across the prairie. And soon it was evident that the dried grass was burning fiercely and coming toward them rapidly. Well, they had crossed a river the day before, but it would be impossible to get back to that river before the flames would be upon them. And there was one man only that seemed to have some kind of understanding as what was to be done. He gave the command to them to set fire to the grass that was behind them. The flames are coming this way toward them. And he says, turn around and set fire to the grass that's behind you. Many began to complain and were worried, then we'll be surrounded by flame. And he says, just trust me. And as they did, the fire continued on moving away from them in that portion of the grass. And when a space was burned large enough, Then the whole company then moved back into that area that was already burnt. And as the flames continued to move in from the west, there was a little girl that cried out in terror, Are you sure we shall not all be burned up? And the leader replied, My child, the flames can't reach us here, for we're standing where the fire has already been. What a picture of the believer who's safe in Christ. It's that understanding that the fires of God's judgment, they burn themselves out on Him. And all of us who are in Christ are safe forever in Christ. We're standing where the fire has already been. Ironside finishes it up with this little poem. He says, On Him Almighty vengeance fell, which would have sunk a world to hell. He bore it for a chosen race and thus becomes our hiding place. He did it all for us in order that we wouldn't be burned so that we did not have to receive the wrath of God. But if we continue to press against and deny the grace of God in our life and continue to shake a fist against His authority and leading and ruling in our life. There's no assurance in that, beloved. But there is assurance in the heart that is His, the heart that desires Him. And on that, I think, is one thing that we can all truly be thankful for. It's the hope and the blessing and the reality that in the midst of all of our failures, all of our failures, if we are His, He's already taken the wrath and placed it upon His Son so we can stand redeemed.
0: Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast subscribing to the open word podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from pastor david to subscribe log on to the openword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for the open word in the itunes store you can also give us a call if you'd like that number to call is 520-836-9676 that's five two zero eight three six nine six seven six. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard the open word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.